Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, I think today's podcast should probably carry a hyperbole warning because for anybody that thought our podcast of a couple of days ago was verging on the hyperbolous, well, today's tennis or tonight's tennis or yesterday's tennis, whenever you might be listening to this, wherever in the world you are, was a bit like two days ago, um, but with sort of added elements of uh, dystopian Cinderella and uh, all sorts of other movie-type comparisons, Race Against the Clock films, Speed and 24. Uh, I know that's not a film, it's a TV programme, but I'm sure there'll be all sorts of um, slightly naff uh, TV, film and literature references. Hopefully Matt can provide some highbrow on ones to uh, to raise the bar a little bit. What but about me? <laughs> but but my goodness me, we're under the gun again to try and do justice to a quite historic day of sport, actually, I think. Mm, yeah, it would be. But would you say? It would be, uh, I mean, for weird reasons. I mean, when was it we found out that, the, uh, I think we pretty much woke up to the news, didn't we, that... Uh, the the infections that had been detected in in Melbourne were going to mean that the the five lock day lockdown was was coming in uh, at eleven fifty nine p.m. local time, which meant that there would be one more day of 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 action with a crowd and and because of who was involved in that day of action with a crowd, it couldn't have been a starker contrast from. The high points of 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 the raucousness and the low points of the nothingness, and yeah, it it makes you feel very strange at the end of a day like that. It's it's almost like having had a fantastic night out, and then it all going a bit ending up in A and E, and and you're having a terrible hangover. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I felt like I felt like the Australian Open sort of made my heart swell and broke it all at once mm. tonight. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw just before going to sleep that there were well, well not rumours actually. It started off with rumour, and then there was the official announcement that the city would be going into a five day lockdown. But at that stage, the the, the details read really, the Australian Open were simply the Australian Open will be affected. Um, so there was a sort of slightly mysterious period of time before it was clarified that there wouldn't be any crowds and that 11.59 would be the cutoff. And then it emerged later on in the day that crowds would be asked to leave at 11.30 on the dot in order to, to allow them time. That's a quick old commute, I would say, 29 minutes. Um, well, I suppose it is right in the city centre, Melbourne Park. Um, yeah, in order to allow them time to, to get home in time for that lockdown and that's when the ticking clock started yeah what was it we called the podcast two days ago the day tennis came home well this was the day everyone went home 
because we've normalized a lot of things, haven't we, over the last few months. Extraordinary things being normal. But today, I couldn't process as anything other than the most bizarre scenes I think I've ever seen in sport, really. I mean, people people having to leave mid-contest and just it creating this sort of apocalypse feel after we'd literally just had, as you said, David, Nick Kyrgios and the most wonderful atmosphere possible. That contrast that that came within an hour was overwhelming and so bizarre. Um, yeah, I, I really <laughs> haven't processed it, to be honest. As awful and bizarre and jarring as it was the the second portion of that Djokovic match we'll run you through the details and the timeline of of what happened in the actual tennis short, shortly but long story short the Djokovic match was interrupted in the fourth set with for the crowd to leave they were they were told to leave John Blom the umpire read out a scripted message to the crowd they were asked to leave the players were taken off court for about six seven minutes and when they returned the stadium was empty apart from the taylor taylor fritz players box um there were a lot of those <laughs> yeah yeah he's got a lot of supporters it turns out uh, a lot of personal friends and family um and as awful and kind of harrowing as as that was David you were commentating and and obviously off the monitor off the same pitches that that we were watching and there was that aerial shot of the stadium emptying and that that really was quite harrowing actually um but as you've pointed out Matt we we have normalized no crowds and it almost felt healthy to be jarred by it mm. to be struck by it again in that in that really stark way. I mean, I hated it. <laughs> it was dreadful. Yeah. And I, but it should be. And there were I think there were lots of reasons for that because it was so sudden because the stadium was not equipped for no fans, you know, all the empty seats were visible. There was no additional crowd noise which we became used to at the end of last season. It was such a dramatic change in such a small space of time that it, it did feel weird, and I, I really think it's going to keep feeling weird over these next few days. I, I, it's not going to feel like it did last season, where it was just tournament after tournament of no fans. We've okay, it's not been full capacity, but I mean, I've got so used to it. The energy of this tournament mm. has felt so yeah. normal, and it's going to be it's going to be very very bizarre over the next few days. I think well, we we had to change how we commentated mid match. Because you go from ending a point and your voice inevitably rises with a winner and then you leave room for the crowd. And at the end, when Djokovic was hitting the winners that won him the match, you're describing them, you finish on the shot, and you almost feel like saying, yeah, but what's the point? You know, it's, it's, there's no, nobody reacting to anything. There's nothing happening. You know, the, the only sound we had was right at the end of the match when Djokovic roared his relief and his letting out all the frustration and fear and anxiety that he was feeling because of the injury that we'll come on to. Um, but the actual scene, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty depressing, to be honest. Uh, and look, it's, it's still only a tennis tournament, but it's a, I've just read, Chris Clary described it as a symbol of tennis in the pandemic. Um, mm. That here we were. No, Kidding ourselves. Nothing could be done. It's just the way it is. And, you know, the struggle goes on to return to normal. And look, we should probably make the point, this was this was pointed out by, by Stuart Fraser, I saw that some people will be uncomfortable with the fact that there were that many crowds there tonight after that announcement about the the lockdown was made. Stuart Fraser on Twitter, Times tennis correspondent, likened it to the Cheltenham Festival going ahead um, in London just before a national lockdown was announced. And look, I, I can understand that. I would say that while while I at the time was very uncomfortable with the Cheltenham Festival being announced, uh, going ahead rather, that was before a national lockdown was put in place in the UK. And I think it was all tied up with a feeling of sort of not trusting 
the authorities that they that they had this thing under control. I think in Melbourne, there is a fundamental trust of the authorities that they have and will get the virus under control and do what's necessary. Mm. So there's a feeling that if they're telling me that I can be in this crowd until midnight, then I will do that and then I'll then I'll go home and, and do my bit. Um, and I think that was reflected in the fact that people did go home. There was a little bit of booing. There was a slight sort of amble out of the stadium rather than much urgency. But there wasn't a scene or any disruption. I think had it been the John Kane arena where there were 10,000 in there <laughs> cheering on Kyrgios... Yeah, they dodged one there. We we could have had a, a riot or some kind of situation on our hands, but everyone on the Rod Laver arena acted pretty responsibly, I thought. Yeah, to to talk you through what, what happened in that Djokovic match, it looked very much like it was going to be done well in time for the, the 11.30 um, turn into Pumpkin's curfew. Uh, Djokovic looked to be comfortable, not without trouble. Taylor Fritz is a tricky opponent. Uh, he was a break-up in the opening set, Djokovic. He got pegged back, taken to a tie-break, and then Djokovic did his tie-break thing, went into <laughs> lockdown um, and was brilliant and uh, clinched the second set, one break of serve in that. So it's not a rout, but it's, it's Djokovic looking comfortable taylor fritz sort of showing us that he's he's a pleasant watch but just a class a class apart from novak djokovic then djokovic takes an awkward fall midway through the start of the third set he's sort of on the stretch and it's his it's the upper half of his his body that looks to have been sort of contorted in an uncomfortable way he takes an off-court medical timeout and I think during that medical timeout, the crowd were informed by umpire John Blom that they would be asked to leave at 11.30. I think at that point it was about 10.30. So they were basically just reminded that they were they were on borrowed time a little bit. Djokovic returns to the court after that medical timeout to to booze. Now, my interpretation is that all of that, all of those booze were around the situation and the announcement and the fact that they were going to have to leave, possibly a tiny bit of resentment that that some of that precious time was being eaten up by an, a medical timeout. Yeah. Um, but but I don't think it was quite as simple as booing Novak Djokovic. No, I I didn't take it as that. I I, I think it's like you say um, that. They're, they're annoyed that their entertainment is going to be cut short. They want to make every last second count, and this guy's taking a medical timeout. Um, well, you know, I mean, too bad. He needed a medical timeout, so he had one. Um, but, yeah, what followed for the next couple of sets, from his perspective, was um, was really uncomfortable watching. Um, you know, he, he just uh, – he was obviously concerned about it, and he sort of – checked out mentally i felt um i just think he was he went into a bit of a a trance almost it's a kind of a, a mini depression of just the circumstances and i th i actually think there was quite a lot of djokovic today in in his behavior and i look i should say i don't know how bad this injury is this maybe we'll get on to what he said after the match but it could be severe enough for him to not play the next round I would be surprised if that were the case, given how well he played in the fifth set. But it's possible. You know, he thinks he's got a tear. He hasn't had a scan. Nobody knows. We do know that he got himself together in the fifth set and played brilliantly and won the match quite comfortably in the end. But I could, judging by his body language, I sensed that he was thinking, why always me? Why, why has this happened now? You know, I go to the US Open as the overwhelming favourite and I knock a ball away. I don't mean to hit anybody and it hits someone and I get disqualified. That's a Grand Slam gone. I go to the French Open. Nadal plays the match of his life when I'm supposed to be liking the conditions of this final and he's not supposed to be at his best and he's another one ahead of me. Right, well, I'll come to the Australian Open. That's my turf. I've won it eight times. I'll win this. And now this has happened. And I'm going to, you know, if I lose this match... Nadal's supposed to have a back injury. What if he goes and wins it and he's ahead of me again? And then it's the French Open again. I can imagine, I could just, I don't know this for sure. That's what I just feel when I'm watching Djokovic, that in his mind, 
it's not fair. It's not fair, this. Why is this happening to me? Um, and then I think the finish line comes closer and he gets himself together. It's like having a deadline on a on an essay or an article. You've got no choice. You can stop your whinging because, frankly, you've got no choice. You either get yourself together now and win the match or you leave. And I think that that concentrates the mind. But don't you think he sometimes allows himself to go to that persecution complex place because so many times in the past that has forced him to produce his best tennis. I think that's just so how kind of that that mental pathway for going there. I, it's quite a. I just think that's how well worn how he's built. Yeah, as in that's that's the chemical, that's the chemistry inside his head. That's how he's wired. He has that reaction to those circumstances: fear, shock, anxiety. Oh mm. woe is me. And I think there are other players who have that too. And there are others who just think, I am not going to let this show. I am going to show, I'm going to pretend it's not even happening. You know, we're all made differently. I think that's just how he's made. Um, and, and it gets some people's backs up. And sometimes it gets my back up. But I also think that I kind of understand it as well. You know, I sometimes have those feelings as in my life, you know, and, and get, get myself together by whatever means they are, in order to to still deliver what I'm supposed to. I've never known you trudge around uh, swearing in Serbian. Yeah, well, you, don't, you don't see me when the Zoom cameras off. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of it, Matt? Well, I must say my attention, even when Djokovic got that injury, was elsewhere. So I, I did slightly mm-hmm. miss the moment where he initially got injured I only really saw the consequences of it in that fourth set and look I totally agree with that analysis of Djokovic but I also do think there was a quite a quite a major physical problem hampering him in that fourth set and and the end of that third set he was not hitting his forehand at all I mean he couldn't he couldn't swing on it and his serve initially was compromised and then it got better there was clearly a problem there. I mean, that, that has happened at two sets to love up. There, there is absolutely no need for him to do any sort of mental gymnastics about how he's feeling physically in, in that moment. He wants to ruthlessly finish that match and something stopped him. And then, absolutely, I agree, he, he is hypersensitive to any little thing and it can, it can play out in his mind and... In his exterior, we really see how he's feeling compared to a lot of other players. Then he, he, I don't know what happened in that fifth set. I didn't think Fritz played a good fifth set at all. Having played pretty well to get back into it, obviously against a weakened opponent, but he was doing the right sort of things. In that fifth set, he really didn't. Uh, He didn't hit the ball away from Djokovic at all. It was an immature fifth set, I thought, from Mm. Taylor Fritz. And he's he's not a next gen anymore. He's, He's here now. Yeah. He he's got some experience under his belt. I thought it was unforgivably um naive. He uh, talks I mean not unforgivable. I'm not going to be holding it against him in 15 years. <laughs> but but, but it's, you know what I mean. You can sense I read a few of his quotes after the match in the press conference and he's frustrated at himself and he, and he's saying I should have known that mm. Novak of sets 3 and 4 wouldn't be like that in sets 5. I should have known. Because, you know, well, there is, I mean, look, there is plenty of history of him getting himself together, for instance, in the Australian Open final last year, not not injury-based, I don't think, but he had a, a real low, didn't he? He had a sort of flat period and team took charge and then Djokovic got himself together again. You know, that that does happen. And, and Fritz was very frustrated with himself. So it's it's a learning process for him, this one. The roar that you mentioned that Djokovic released uh, on victory i was expecting some kind of release and look we've seen many a guttural roar from djokovic over the years this it it made me jump it made me jump back in my seat that was the ferociousness of it it was as animalistic a noise as i've ever heard a sports person make well, he didn't hold a thing back, did he? Um, every single thing that he'd been feeling for the last hour and a half came out. The frustration, scary. the nerves, the anger, the, all the things that he's feeling, all of which I think are 
coming from what I described, his sense that it could all be slipping away, the the, the world's against him. That's what I took from it, and he was just letting it out. Um, but yeah, crikey, it was dramatic. I just stopped commentating, and I just said, I think we better just let him get this out of his system. And, and yeah, it was quite, quite prolonged, wasn't it? There was sort of part one and part two. <laughs> mm. And um, yeah, no one was expecting part two. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have thought there was anything else to to get out after part two. He he did go on to do an on-court post-match interview. No one was quite sure what was going to happen there. Colin Fleming um, got sent on to do the interview. Tough job that, and he, um, he did well, I thought. Best interview Djoko- of the week. Yeah, Djokovic described it as one of the most special wins of his career because of all the circumstances involved. And I found that very interesting and very, very poignant. You know, he obviously meant partly his own personal circumstances, but also the clearly the, the wider circumstances as well. Um, he says it's definitely an abdominal muscle tear. Um, as you said, David, I don't know how he can be sure of that, but that's what he says. And he said he didn't know if he would take to the court versus Milos Raonic, um, who's his next opponent. Raonic beat Fuchovic in in four sets today. Now, look, he's the only one inside his body. He had spoken to a physio at that stage, obviously the the ATP trainer. He hadn't, probably still hasn't, had scans. Um, I'm torn between thinking, look, you've got to trust what he's saying about his own body, but then also thinking of him saying, I'm not sure if I'll play Wimbledon mm-hmm. and then winning Wimbledon. It, it's it's the emotions of the moment. And look, when he said what he said at the French Open, he went straight off the court, didn't even take a second to gather himself, just went straight in there. And they said, what do you think of your chances at Wimbledon? And he says, I don't even know if I'm going to play Wimbledon because he's just in a bad mood. I've just lost. You know, I think you can't take what he says at face value in the heat of the moment. And the same with most of these athletes. He... You've got to, it's interesting to listen to um, and, and factor it in, but I, it's fear talking, it's anxiety, all those things. Um, and and well, I guess we'll just find out. Milos Raonic is desperately taking it at face value, David. <laughs> 11 <laughs> zero is the head to it. head. <laughs> Poor Milos Raonic. How well. injured would Djokovic have to be well, for Raonic to have a this chance? This is the best chance he will ever have. This speed of court, lightning fast, Djokovic. It, I don't know. I, I would be surprised if Djokovic is a hundred percent. I'm sure he can. You know, the, there'll be a level at which he can play and compete and be effective. But th- this isn't nothing. So, mm. you know, we'll we'll find out. I feel like the last time Novak Djokovic played Raonic was at the Western Southern Open, and Djokovic had had a lot of neck problems, hadn't he? in that tournament and people were thinking that was a chance for Raonic and Djokovic still crushed him. It's, it's a, yeah. it's a matchup he loves. And, if and a mental problem for absolutely. Raonic. If, if he's, yeah. if he's feeling somewhat better and able to take to the court, he, he's still a, a huge favourite. God, David, imagine if it had been Riley Apelka tonight. Well. He wouldn't <laughs> have played a naive fifth set, would he? <laughs> Uh, it was it was interesting watching Fritz. Just yeah, he didn't know what he was doing out there. He didn't know how how to react really. Um, but I, but to be honest, I also think the racket was getting taken out of his hand because Djokovic has this other other mode where suddenly this, he lets the stress go, and I've seen it in several matches before. And suddenly you see like this is a guy that you don't think of as a big hitter at all that will hit cold winners all the time. And as soon as his muscles just relax and he allows him the ball to just ping off the strings, he can hit incredibly hard. And I, I don't think Fritz had felt that power all match until the last few games. Mm. So how about the reason that Matt's attention, well, all of ours, frankly, but uh, <laughs> the reason why Matt's attention wasn't 100% on the Rod Laver arena and why we were all having to multi-screen and developed, develop multitasking skills like never before. Yeah. Um, why has the human body not evolved adequately enough for Grand Slam days of tennis? Because <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't. I need more brain power, more eyes, more ears. I can't cope. <laughs> 
Yes, when David's on the radio and mm. we're trying to watch it, sync that up with David's radio commentary, but also have another screen going on on mute with with something else, and then we're we're trying to follow press conferences as well, and we're all WhatsApping one another a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> it's, it's bananas. <laughs> Um, every yeah, everyone's getting the violins out for us right now, aren't they? Um, because during the opening two and a bit, two and a half sets of the Djokovic match on the Rod Laver Arena, things were happening over on old John Kane. John Kane, may he rest in peace. He he didn't know what he was getting himself in for having his name on that stadium for this fortnight, did he? I hope his uh, hope his friends and family. Are Nick Kyrgios fans, uh, and if they're not, they're probably saying take my, take his name off that stadium uh, because Nick Kyrgios went two sets to love up over last year's finalist uh, Dominic Team. It was it was a really impressive Nick Kyrgios performance. It was like when he played Nadal here last year, mm. um, and he just he he was still Nick Kyrgios. It, he wasn't flat. He was still totally orchestrating the crowd, the odd trick shot, a lot of underarm serve. He fa- serves. He found a way to be him, but in a respectful and contained and in control way. And it was the dream. Mm. I would say it was the very best of Nick Kyrgios tonight. Um, the, mm. the whole performance. Um, and that will tell you how well Dominic Team did to end up winning. Um, but I mean, the first two, I mean, he broke immediately, didn't he? Curios. And he embodies my childhood heroes in terms, doesn't it? Curios, in terms of the bravado and the excitement that he brings and the, the extraordinary that he's able to do. And, and what I mean by that is he embodies the superhero abilities and then the, the kind of hype and, and silliness of making it even bigger than it is by just... Are you talking about wrestlers, yeah, I'm talking about wrestlers. I'm talking about <laughs> Muhammad Ali. I'm talking about Apollo Creed in the Rocky films, you know, just sort of coming in and saying, not only doing what you're going to do, what, what you need to do, but saying what you're going to do before you've done it and then letting everybody know about it afterwards as well and just hyping people into a frenzy. He makes you live on every thing that he's doing. And I can't... I don't approve of it sometimes, but I can't get enough of it. <laughs> and um, and and he was whipping that place into a frenzy. They, they and the fact that he was hyped up and engaged and cared, and it was obvious was was intoxicating for everybody watching. I think. Um, and and he was he was brilliant. I mean he 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 must have hit half a dozen underarm serves at least in that match, and they were brilliant tactical maneuvers. And he did something I've never seen before. He won the second set with an underarm ace. I've never seen that before. And it was just genius. Um, but Dominic Team refused to engage with him, refused to make eye contact, kept, you know, Kyrgios was trying to run past his face while he was at his chair to catch his eye or get him, in, you know, get him involved. And he, he just refused. And... Refused He's to such lose. A steady Eddie, isn't didn't he? lose any energy, uh, and eventually worked his way back into the match. And at the same time, we got the clock ticking down, knowing that if they got to eleven thirty, the ten thousand people would all be chucked out. And the funny thing is, of all the people in the stadium, Nick Kyrgios is probably the one who would handle it the best. He'd probably end up saying, "You know what? The virus is more important than tennis. Calm down, everybody. Go home and be quiet." You know, I actually believe that would have happened um, if it had come to it, um, but. In the moment, he was just whipping everybody up. Um, and the fact that team weathered it and finished it with the signature backhand winner down the line just completed what, to me, is almost the perfect match. Mm. It it was right that Dominic Team won that match. I mean, Nick Kyrgios said afterwards he's he's got no appetite to play without crowds. But he's got... He's got absolutely no... He wasn't ruling out the prospects of playing for the rest of the year, but he's got no plans to. He says he's not interested in in going abroad, quarantining in order to play in empty stadiums. He actually said, I don't think it's right. 
Um, he wasn't pressed on that. I don't know whether he meant it's not right for me or whether he sort of thinks it's sort of morally wrong more generally, but he has no appetite to do that at a, that at all. And the, the, the match after this, had he had anything left in the tank, would have been against Dimitrov, another kind of physical colossus. And then who knows after that, you know, it was about this moment for Kyrgios and he created that moment and he didn't, he didn't need to win it. Him not winning it did not diminish the moment at all. It, it felt right that Dominic Team won it. It felt exactly as you say, right the way he won it. I felt this incredible sense of not only the clock ticking down, and we were being reminded of that. It was physically, <laughs> you know, that TV TV channels don't miss an opportunity, do they? They were they were putting the lockdown clock up on the screen intermittently. But I also felt this sense of Nick Kyrgios's canister running down. Mm. His his energy, you know, it, it's limited. We know he's spent the past thirteen months playing Call of Duty. He said himself after the match that even for his standards, he's not in his best shape and he's not playing his best tennis. I felt like there was a limit on how much of that tennis he could produce. And I was actually surprised not to see a strategic tank of, of one of the the third and fourth sets. Um, another reason why for me it was the best of Kyrgios, there was still, there was still bad Kyrgios moments. There was still moments where he disrespected the umpire a little bit too much for, for my taste. He received a, a warning for hindrance which is uh, a new one on me. I thought that was a bit um, uh, I thought that was a bit ridiculous personally. I I agree. I agree. He shouted no. No. I think he, said, he shouted sit. He shouted sit. I think I thought it was as clear a hindrance call as you get. H- had Billy Jean run onto the court? <laughs> what? The ball's going down the ball the other was end floating. and he goes sit hoping that it will sit down and land in just before teams about to hit the ball it's it's an obvious hindrance call for the umpire to make it has to be that is the rule you can't talk midpoint it happens all the time is it I different to that, grunting midpoint well that is which was Nick Kyrgios's point he invoked victoria as a yeah. ringer in in his argument which oh I, you know i thought i was just thinking don't go down this road <laughs> yeah i mean that's a different conversation. It's totally not relevant. What about players moving around and standing inside the baseline and, you know, you're, you're, you're moving around in their eye line? That's not hindrance. Just because one thing isn't hindrance doesn't mean that something else isn't. That, that, that was hindrance. And the umpire was absolutely right to call that. He, he also got a, a point penalty. Before the hindrance, he got a point penalty for two... Uh two warnings and the the point penalty actually meant that serving for the third set Dominic team was 15 love up yeah and then it was to, a really tight start game, the game. And yeah and that point and, had an impact and some people will point to the fact that Nick Kyrgios played a tweener half volley or attempted a tweener half volley at a very crucial moment in that game and they'll say had he had he not played that shot had he played a more orthodox shot everything could have been different i don't see it that way personally that is what he has to do to 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 produce the other brilliant shots that he produced some of them just as unorthodox and yeah. came off brilliantly you also have to have those moments there was a there was a very clear turning point in the match the first two sets kyrgios has it all going on he is disrupting team in a way that kind of only he can I think he's giving him no rhythm he's underarm serving he's changing the pace and he's clearly the better player and then he gets a couple of break points at the start of that third set and team at this point probably the only point in the match I thought where his head dropped and he he looked kind of out of it and somehow he managed to save those couple of break points and I mean team said afterwards in a really poignant quote, I was already dealing with the loss. And it was like in that moment he had accepted something and his head cleared and then he was able to play a lot better for the rest of that match. That was such a big turning point. And he he extended it, he made it physical. He he knows he's in better shape than Nick Kyrgios. And if it goes deep, he's going to back himself. But 
Kyrgios was very close to finishing that match in straight sets. If Kyrgios gets that break, I mean, he says in his press conference afterwards, I think that's done in an hour and 45 minutes if I break there. <laughs> I would kind of agree with him. Team was, yeah. team looked done to me. But, yeah. but he... He looked like a zombie. But when he got through that game, it really helped him. And I was so impressed with the way team played in those last three sets. An absolute frenzy going on. I was... I was relating very hard to him when Nick Kyrgios was having his little arguments. He was sort of pretending to be distracted by a bug on the court and, and re-gripping his racket at the change of ends, just totally making sure he's not involved in any of it. Um, and by the end, I thought he was playing really well. I thought he was really tentative at the start, really nervous. But as it went on, he hit through those nerves and really hit his stride and hit top gear and I think that match will do him a lot of good yeah it was a mm. it was a fantastic match the best of both players by the end he um he spoke to Jim Jim Courier on the court afterwards and gave that incredible line as he said Matt about I was already dealing with the loss in the third set he also said uh, after the US Open I learned that impossible is nothing and there's me sitting in my chair <laughs> thinking oh what a what a what a beautiful, poetic, perfect, apt turn of phrase he's come up with there. And and in a second language as well. I, I, I alerted everyone on the WhatsApp group to it. Um, anyway, turns out Adidas came up with that phrase some time ago. <laughs> and he's And actually by. what he was doing was probably earning himself a very a very lovely bonus. Yep. Or or at the very least, um compensating uh for Shoegate at the US Open last year where he spent an entire match Dominic team insulting the shoes that he was being pay- paid to wear. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was still a good line for the moment. I can just imagine the conversation. No, look, I know how I can make this up to you. <laughs> All I need is an absolute classic against Nick Kyrgios yeah, maybe on the John Kane Arena. he orchestrated the whole thing in order to deliver that line. And he had me hook, line and sinker. <laughs> Um, so as I say, as I say, Dominic Team has earned himself a fourth round meeting with Grigor Dimitrov, who bless him, we've barely mentioned. Mm. Um, Who'd have thought this podcast would be saying that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not much to say today. He he benefited from a Pablo Carreño Buster retirement, six love, one love. Um, Carreño Buster uh, was trailing, so Dimitrov threw playing and well, fresh. though, Grigor, huh? Playing well, maybe this is the one. Yeah, maybe. Is he going to beat Dominic Team? Mm, we'll find out, won't we? That's come on, David. That is not what people tune into this podcast for. Give me twenty-four hours. Okay. You can have my prediction now if you like. Yep. Yes, please. No, he's not going to beat Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so that's happening on the John Kane Arena. Djokovic is happening on the Rod Lave Arena, over on the Yvonne Gulagong Arena, the match that sort of I had picked out as potentially the most exciting tennis-wise of the evening was unfolding in very undramatic fashion. Felix auger Eliasim, frankly thrashing his buddy, Denis Shapovalov, 7-5-7-5-6-3. It was ruthless from Felix mm. auger Eliasim. I remember, I mean, it would have been ruthless against anyone. But the fact that it was against his his bromance buddy just made it all the more sort of dead-eyed assassin vibes. I do remember that win he scored. It, it was one of his early wins at the US Open. Was it the Corentin Mute victory? Yes. And he said in the post-match interview afterwards, he said, that's what I wanted to work on during lockdown, my killer instinct and my, my ruthlessness. Yep. Um, and boy, did that come across today. Yeah. This uh, look, I didn't see a ball of the match because I was commentating on the other two, but the scoreline and the reports that I read—that's what Felix Auger-Aliassime should be. He should be that good. He should be able. To, his game to me looks such, and his physical ability—he should. I mean, I know he's very young, but he should be able to do this to very good players. Uh, and I think if he can get over some of the mental issues and maybe one or two technical problems, I think he could end up being that good the where he's doing to, to people what Djokovic has done to people over the years, just, just dispatching people and ending up in a final. Um, 
I'd quite like to watch some of it back because I because I didn't get the chance. I mean, I don't know whether you, either of you two I saw think, any. I think Matt, you watched a, a fair bit of it on on one of your it had at least half of one eye on it. Yes, I was struck by the scoreline of those first two sets being the same as the scoreline when Djokovic beat Shapovalov at the ATP Cup last week, seven five seven five, and it, they were different sets because there were a couple. They exchanged some breaks today. Orger Aliassime and Shapovalov, but there was still that maturity about Orger Aliassime, which frankly was kind of missing from Shapovalov. Just a couple of games cost him sets where he suddenly comes up with some loose errors and starts spraying the ball and Orger Aliassime didn't have them. And he, he sort of timed his sprint to the finish at the end of each set perfectly. And he could have run away with that third set. He was up three love and had a, had a swinging drive volley on break point and put it into the net. And if he'd have got that, he could have absolutely raced away with that third set as it was Shapovalov pushed him a little bit in it. But yeah, I was, I was really impressed with, with Australia seem. Um, he hit one absolutely incredible passing shot up the line, you know, Nadal like on the run full stretch and then let out a huge roar, which I've not really seen him do before. He's quite measured and his temperament's very cool. But I think that was to break serve in, in the second set and it was just an illustration of him playing his best when he when he needed to and it was a very complete impressive performance for sure mm. he plays Aslan Karatsev now who we have all done some fast learning about or in the process of doing some fast learning about because uh, Aslan Karatsev uh, beat 8th seed Diego Schwartzman 6-3 6-3 6-3 overnight he's 27 years old he's ranked 111 in the world and including qualifying he's now played six matches at this tournament and dropped only one set so Karatsev in the mix (laughs) I'll tell you what he played fantastically well you're saying you had to read up on him I had to read up on him mid-match uh, whilst trying to commentate on him. Um, but because I didn't know I was doing that match but my word does he hit the ball hard he hits it flat and he I mean you know, Schwartzman is a tough bloke to hit through like that. And he, he did. He he absolutely took him apart. Uh, it was not close in the slightest. And uh, and he was very relaxed about it in the after-match interview. He, it was like it was, yeah, I mean, great this, isn't it? You know, <laughs> bring on the next one. Um, so good, good story. 50 winners to five winners in that match. Ooh. I mean, just just dominance and... I think I, I first saw his name last year at the end of the year when he, I think he won back-to-back challenges. And last week I I saw Medvedev call him Russia's secret weapon in the he ATP Cup. He was playing Cup. doubles, wasn't he? He was playing doubles, but he wasn't needed because Medvedev and Rublev won all their matches. So none of the doubles rubbers for Russia were live. Mm. So I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't pay any attention to them. And he's absolutely cruise through this draw at the Australian Open. I always get a bit spooked when someone comes from absolutely nowhere and can play like this against a top 10 player. And he's, it's kind of, and he's 27 years yeah, old. It's like, where, where have they been and who else is out there that can do well, this? <laughs> well, yeah, how many other weapons do Russia mm. have? It's, it's like a sort of Vladimir Putin threat. <laughs> uh, I will deploy Aslan Karatsev if you, if you don't fall in line. Um <laughs> Um, yeah he had a really bad knee injury in 2017 apparently this this is what I read is the explanation for why he's sort of been in the wilderness but but that was four years ago now apparently he was he sort of took him two years to to properly get fit again but that's still two years of wilderness Mm. I don't know I suppose Um, last year was yes I suppose so Let's all find out what happened to Aslan Karatsev in 2019, <laughs> specifically. Anyway, he's very much around now, and one of he and Felix Auger Aliassime will be a quarterfinalist at this tournament. So that's that's pretty exciting. Um, Alexander Zverev cruised past Adrian Manorino. He's making the sort of progress through this slam that we were sort of lamenting him not being able to do for so long. Just quiet slow business-like progress he plays Dusan Lajevic now um which sounds like a great draw but I do remember a, a French Open match where Lajevic mm. 
got the better of Zverev. He's a big physical specimen, Lajevic. And on a on a fast court, being aggressive, he you know he could be a a tough tough opponent. Mm. I, I, it's an interesting one that because I'm trying to work out whether it would have been better for him to be on a slower court because the of the sheer pace that, that serves coming at him, you know, and whether he because he's got he's a single handed backhand, he's got a wind up. Yeah, you know. he does have big swings mm, and he stands he, back. he def- definitely has had his best results on clay. Mm. But um, you know, it's uh, the fact that he's got this fast tells you he's playing well, mm. uh, Lajovic. Mm. And yeah, I mean, he's he's a very good player. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that's the men's fourth round lineup um, in the top half of the draw. The women's fourth round lineup in the bottom half of the draw, which has been set um, overnight and this morning, uh, UK time, obviously, is is just a dream. You know, barring the odd name, which you'd kind of want to be in there, Andrescu, obviously, this is just, it's a lot of fire emojis of a lineup, isn't it? Uh, we've got Sviantec against Halep. Oh, um, yeah. Shvontek <laughs> was playing on the Yvonne Gulagong Arena after the uh, the Canadian clash, and she definitely got the memo, did Iga Shvontek, about the time limit on the crowds. She uh, wrapped up victory over Fiona Ferro 6-4-6-3 with 12 minutes, 12 crowd minutes to spare. Uh, that is her 10th consecutive Grand Slam win. She did have time in those 12 minutes to draw quite an elaborate cat on the camera which I found very enjoyable. Uh, and as I said, she now plays Simona Halep. Uh, Halep beat Kudamatova 6-1-6-3 earlier on on the Rod Laver Arena. She said of playing Halep, um, obviously they've played twice now at consecutive French Opens. Shvantec got one game from Halep at Roland Garros in 2019 and then she only conceded three games to Halep at Roland Garros 2020. Uh, she said of playing her for a third time, I hope it's longer than the last two we played against one another. I do too. Me too, yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm surprised she said that, though, because I would have expected her to say, I hope it's just like the last time I played her. <laughs> um, but So she's she's sparing a thought for all us neutrals that just want uh, an absolute thriller to unfold. Um also in the fourth round, uh, in the bottom half of the women's draw, we will see a very first meeting between Serena Williams and Arena Sabalenka. They've never played before. Yeah, it's kind of extraordinary, isn't it? I saw Serena today. I watched her beat 
Anastasia Potapova. It was by by some distance her worst performance of the tournament so far, particularly that first set. She she seemed incredibly tight. You know, we've talked about her movement looking good. She she her feet were were not moving. She was not getting to the ball, and consequently, she was hitting a lot of errors. And it it, it felt like she didn't play like Serena Williams, but the reason she won was because she is Serena Williams because the pressure of trying to put her away Potapova had a couple of set points and double faulted on both of them was kind of too much for her and she used that experience she's got to get through it and just raised her game enough in the first set tie break but it was it was unconvincing i must say and it's a hurdle overcome it's a victory she can move on but there were some nerves there it struck me and that's only going to get worse, I would have thought, as the tournament's going to go on. She, look, she's hitting the ball wonderfully, but that was the first time I've watched her this tournament and not been sort of really sold on how well she's playing. It was a struggle today. Whereas Savalenka, I watched um, in the first match of the day on the Rod Laver Arena against Anne Lee, a, a real match of two confidence players. They've both had great results coming into this. Savalenka's were were just before the, the quarantine period and, and Anne Lee's afterwards. But um, I was very impressed with Anne Lee, by the way. She just was overwhelmed by the weight of shot from Sabalenka when she's on, which can can happen to anyone. So, uh, Anne Lee's got this extraordinary timing um, and a fantastic attitude, just this nothing's going to get me attitude. But it just wasn't enough against Sabalenka today. Sabalenka, when she's in this sort of mood, with this sort of confidence. And I think she probably will take that against Serena. I know anybody can be intimidated against Serena, but just think Sabalenka's confident enough She's excited. not to be. She's yeah. very excited about the prospects because they've never played before. Um, uh, she described it as a big thrill, I think. And the other thing that just strikes me as well is this is a woman who cleans up on the quick courts. You know, mm. think of what she's done in Wuhan and some of the other indoor tournaments. And she's Abu Dhabi at the start of the season yeah, was very quick. Exactly. And um, it's just whether she's just has come up short at the Grand Slam. She hasn't played very well at the Grand Slams. She's always put in one performance. Apart from that year that she lost to Naomi Osaka when Osaka went and won the US Open. That was the one where it could have gone either way, and you thought she, she'd won uh, New Haven the week before, hadn't she? Yeah, that felt like a sliding doors moment, really. Mm. That, um, mm. but this is a very, very interesting match. Uh, um, oh, um, I don't care whether I need to sleep or not. I'm watching that match, <laughs> and all the other women's round four matches. Correct. <laughs> yes, because I haven't even got to the best bit yet. I think this is the best bit. Asaka against Muguruza. How is that in the fourth round? That is one giant yes, please. (laughs) Yeah. And they've never Uh, played. They've never played. Muguruza beat uh, Zarina Diaz. Asaka beat Onstrabur. I mean, it was demolition Muguruza against Diaz, if the score was anything to go by. That that happened during my brief period of sleep. Um, Asaka against Jabur was... I mean, she's just in... Prime. I saw a lot of that. Prime. I, I was chatting with Andrew while that was going on, uh, who was doing our Twitter feed, and and he he'd counted up the, the first half a dozen games were incredible because all the pressure was on Osaka. She had forty six points on her own service in the first three service games, and Jabir had ten in the same two in her first two. You know, it was it was juice after juice, break point after break point, and then and Osaka held on, and then. In one game, I think it was the sixth game, Jabir on a serve just went to pieces and couldn't find the court. She hit two double faults, she hit two two unforced errors, service break, end end of the set, basically. Um, And and it was a real shame for her. But she got herself together, she played played decently after that, but Osaka just got better as it went along, I I felt. Um, And rescued... Some wildlife in the process. <laughs> yes, a butterfly landed on her finger and she took it to the back of the court and uh, just gently deposited it in a safe place. It's lovely. How safe can the back of a tennis court be for a butterfly? <laughs> I felt like she was quite careful where she positioned okay. it. Okay. 
It also landed on her. I don't know if it was a different butterfly, but a butterfly landed on her face at one point because there are some yeah, it was the same extraordinary one. photos. Same same butterfly. What, once she'd moved the butterfly to the side, it it wanted wanted to come back and then mm. attached itself to Osaka's face very briefly. I must say, Quite, she oh. she handled it with far more poise than I would have done. <laughs> You'd have been You're not afraid of butterflies, are you? Not afraid, but I wouldn't want one on my face. Mm. <laughs> it would be quite a coincidence if it was a different butterfly. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's good luck if a it butterfly is. lands on you. It is. Yeah. But in that moment, I, I wouldn't right. think of it as lucky. You'd, you'd appreciate the luck later in the day. Who's <laughs> come up with that theory that it's good luck? I think theory might be putting it a bit strongly. I think <laughs> the same people that came up with, you know, cats being good luck and however many magpies it is and walking under a ladder and that stuff. Anyway, um, the final uh, fourth round match from the bottom half of the women's draw is Marketa Vondrosheva versus Su Wei Shea. Uh, Shea oh, beat Irani 6-4, And Vondrosheva beat Kostea in straight sets. Uh, they won the exact same number of points, Shea and Irani, in that three-setter, which, as was pointed out um, on our Twitter feed, is just the love it when that happens and it just points out the beauty of the tennis scoring system. It really is a thing of beauty. Uh, Shea against Vondrosheva, Matt, has happened recently. Tell me where. I've def- we definitely collectively have mm. had a conversation where you have gone, oh, Shay von Drusheva. And yes, I think it right. was very disappointing, which is why we don't actually re- remember it. Was it the but first round? Certainly our eyes lit up at the prospect of the it. The first yes, round it was- of Abu, Abu Dhabi. Dhabi. And it yeah. was 7-6 in the third to Shay. 3-6, Great. Let's why have didn't that we watch again. that? Don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it'll we still be out there. Let's watch it now. made a mental note of it yeah. having hap- uh, happening. Mm. Did you see Shay's on-court interview? I didn't tell me everything, though. <laughs> well, first of all, she pointed out that every time previously she'd played Irani, she had, in her own words, eaten a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost and I've eaten a bagel three times. <laughs> so that was her goal today, was to not eat another bagel. Then... Even before the on-court interview, she went over to the back of the court and kissed the Melbourne sign, which was a lovely moment. And then she launched the big defence of Paul McNamee's singles career. (laughs) (laughs) Paul McNamee being her coach. And I think the interviewer might have referred to him as a doubles player. And she said he reached the semi-final of a Grand Slam in singles. Put respect on his name. <laughs> and, the, and the interviewer didn't even do that. The interviewer was actually trying to say he's a, sing, a single yeah. semi-finalist here and a doubles champion, and she still went into this massive defense <laughs> as though he said something wrong. <laughs> That's very uh, relatable lockdown content, isn't it? My goal for today is just to try and not eat a bagel. <laughs> and then he, he goes, uh, well, and you didn't eat a bagel. And she goes, yeah! Yeah, she did a little dance that's spinning round. It was great. <laughs> More of the same uh, for, for Vondrosheva against uh, Sue Wei Shea. That's your lot from day five. This, uh, these are the folks that have that tough act to follow, and they'll be having to do so in uh, in empty stadiums, of course, or stadia. Um, it starts with Mukova against Pliskova, the practice partners on Rod Laver Arena from midnight UK, 11am uh, Australian time. Then Filip Krajanovic against Daniil Medvedev. Bencic against Mertens. Yes, please. Uh, the night session is Annette Contivate and Shelby Rogers. And then it's Cam Norrie against Rafael Nadal, who uh, Matt's Spanish intelligence uh, informs us did not practice today. He went to see a medical specialist instead. Yeah, he. it turns out he gave some really interesting quotes in the Spanish portion of his press conference after beating Michael Moe, in which he said, the back problem is not under control and I need to find a different solution to try and make it better. It's been 18, 19 days. I've had some pain now and obviously what I'm doing is not working. So he decided to have a day off 
and not practice today. And that has been confirmed that he didn't practice. Um, and he said, you know, with all due respect to Michael Moe, that was a match where I knew I could use my different service motion and it'd be fine and I wouldn't be too tested too much. But he said he thinks Cameron Norrie will provide him with a with a tougher test. And certainly later on in the tournament, he needs to figure out a way because he thinks he's reached his limit with the current with the current solutions he's found to this back problem. He thinks if it's still like this later in the tournament, he's not going to be able to compete against those top players. Now, look, we know Nadal does talk like that in his press conferences, but I thought it was very a very interesting and in-depth assessment of, of where he's at. And yeah, he didn't practice today, so let's see if, if that's helped him overcome it. Mm, very interesting. Uh, the Ivan Gulagon arena starts with Yulia Putin's saver against Alinas Vitalina. Then it's Kai Kanepi against Donna Vekic. Rublev against Lopez Feliciano. Uh, and then the night session is Ash Barty and Victoria... Uh, no, what's Alexandrova's first name? Ekaterina. 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 I did, I did Russian bingo there. <laughs> And took a punt on Victoria. <laughs> Ekaterina Alexandrova. That's a weird old schedule, that, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, they've, that they've got Contivate yeah. uh, uh, yes. rather than Ash Barty on Rod Laver Arena. It's... I, I don't know. I don't get it. I assumed it was a misprint when I first read it. And then it's uh, Dominor and Fanini following Barty, so maybe they wanted the Aussies back-to-back on the same court. I don't know. And Nadal obviously is going to be on on Labour. Well, I, I I don't know. I just don't get it. I really would love to know. Maybe, maybe they're just trying to be fair in some way, but I don't get it because I haven't seen it's Nadal not, it's, and Federer. It's not that though, is it? Courts. Because Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Serena will never yeah. Yeah. play I, I don't have anywhere any other answers. than Rod Laver. Uh, the John Kane Arena features Jessica Bagula and Christina Medenovic, then Jennifer Brady David against Kai Yuvan. I love how the word David now comes after the name <laughs> Jennifer Brady. <laughs> uh, then uh, Stefanos Sitsipas against Mikhail Immer and Karen Hatchinov against Matteo Berrettini is last up. So that was your day five of the Australian Open. So enthralling that I didn't even find myself resenting the fact that there were no Italians having arguments. <laughs> some days you need it. Some days you're all right without. <laughs> some days you don't. I'm very much up for Italians having arguments tomorrow, though. If you want to send that memo out uh, to the players that might fill the void left by the crowds. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow. Of course, Crumble will still be our Australian Open mascot. Hello, Crumble. Hello, Jim. Crumble's human. Uh, hello to Zeus. We didn't we didn't get any points today, Zeus, but we're on for the comeback. Scousel, Mousel, Matt. Yeah, no points for us either. And Rogue for David. Yeah, we blew it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Rogue, you know, I, I'm believing. Tomorrow. Yeah, and Billie Jean says hello to Billie Jean King. She's asleep at my feet. She was very confused about some of the noise I was making during the tennis this morning. Uh, our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcasts, tell your friends, leave us an iTunes review. Thank you very much for, for making it all possible. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you enjoy a sort of watch-along vibe. Uh, and subscribe to our newsletter, which... I genuinely look forward to receiving every day. Mm. Uh, I also, in my bunctious excitement yesterday, mentioned a tennis podcast fans WhatsApp group. Um, but this has uh, rumours of a fans WhatsApp group have been exaggerated. Um, there's it's it's just a WhatsApp group with four people, some of whom happen to listen to the tennis podcast. <laughs> um, so so uh, scrub that out of your memory. We do they have a subreddit. Um, managed and monitored uh, by one of our listeners. Thank you very much, Ian. So if you'd like to get yourself on the subreddit, uh, you can do that. I've also failed to mention uh, that this is our 801st uh, episode. I'm mentioning that because I also failed to mention yesterday that it was our 800th episode. <laughs> um, but we all, always forget our anniversaries. 
and uh, do it on the episode after. So I've I've snuck that in there in the nick of time. Well done. And we have shout outs, Matt. Take it away. Yes. Rebecca Monk. Oh, hello. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for your support. The Monk's Retreat was the pub that all the sixth formers went to in Reading. Tenuous. Good pub? No, it's a dreadful Weatherspoons. But when you're 17, <laughs> when you're 17, it's the good. pinnacle of good pubbing. Yeah. yeah, but Rebecca Monk's great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Michael Thomas is pretty great as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, hello, Michael Thomas. Well, absolutely, because he scored the winning goal in the (laughs) Arsenal-Liverpool 1989 title decider. Uh, It's up for grabs now. Michael Thomas! Right at the end! How does our third shout-out follow that? (laughs) That was was amazing, David. It was unexpected. (laughs) And the last one is Jonathan Patton. Hi, Jonathan. hello, Hello, Jonathan. Splendid. Name. I mean, I know lots of Jonathans. Where to start? Just assume you do. Mm. <laughs> Hello, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back with 802 tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 